recording episode 438 438 i think god i gotta do the rest of those sound panels i've been so uh it's with dale comstock uh dale and i both showed up late to our own meeting we both text each other because you know we're text buddies both text each other and said we're going to be late so Dale's not here yet Dale will be arriving you know I don't want to have to put the hurt on Dale I know he was in Delta Force and and in the CIA but you know I do play a lot of Ace Combat and I'm just saying get me with a get me get me with that uh, UCAV or that pulse laser or those four air to air missiles or the cams pop some flares do a 9g turn take out the arsenal bird i can take out dale comstock uh but yeah dale's not here yet i think i need a haircut um i do need to if anyone's listening if anyone actually listens to these podcasts can is the audio better do you notice a difference in the audio i need to make sure this isn't all placebo because placebo is great for like like sleeping pills and cancer, but not so much audio when other people are in on it because you guys aren't in on the placebo delusion that I am as well, that I'm in. Also, I might be switching to the PC Master Race. My friends have finally convinced me. It might be time to leave the Mac cult. Primarily because I want to... Well, I also just... I was just looking at some shit, and I was like, man, those look really cool. Those look really fucking cool. The water cooling and shit. Mm. Ooh, I love some heat dissipation. I don't know, man. I might need to do it. I was looking at that. I was looking at one of those widescreen monitors, that, that Samsung G9, 49-inch, 240 hertz, 5K. Ooh, 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 ooh. I might, I might be joining the PC Master Race. I do like Max though, but you know, for what reason? You know, I've never really picked it apart. Why do I like Max? Is it is it some sort of conditioning? It's the first laptop I ever had, two thousand nine. Shout out mom and dad for college. Second laptop I had, twenty fifteen. Third laptop I had, this guy for graphic design and now podcasting. But it might. <laughs> But what exactly do I do? I screen record and I, I mean, that's it. I don't do fancy editing. I maybe clip off the end if I forgot to stop record. Really all I do is screen record. I mean, I don't think that, I would like to get back into gaming though on a computer. Gaming on an Xbox is fun and I love turning off the audio and turning on an audio book, obviously, which I talk about all the time on here. But in high school, when I lived in Maine for a year and moved away from all my friends, which sucked, uh, my friend Matt and I would uh, we'd play Battlefield Vietnam and uh, Battlefield 1942 and uh, Team Fortress 2 and simple games. But there's something about the social aspect of, of it's you and a buddy running around shooting stuff that the older I get, I do miss more. It's, you know, I I work myself crazy. Um, Why is this camera always unfocused? I work myself crazy, and uh, I do think it's healthy to 
have a little bit of a social life, even if it's just on video games. Um, but yeah, so I was looking at some pre, I'm not going to build a rig because I will destroy it. I have no idea at it and I'll just get flustered and I'll end up saying fuck it and buying a MacBook and then I'll just still be out all those pieces. So I'm thinking about buying a pre-made rig. Like a, like an RTX 3090, which I'm very aware are expensive, but I kind of want it. Water cooled, ooh, ooh. You know, I can plug this my HVAC tubes right into it, like a make it look like a a fume hood. Um, I do need to do those last bit of panels because I got this whole area to the right. Is that, none of that's interesting. None, you don't give a fuck. Buy this new hoodie. Look at this. Post Malone. It's fire. It's not out of focus. I designed it so it looks out of focus on the right sleeve, huh? That's some talent. I'm, I, I designed it and printed it so it looks out of focus and then comes into focus. No one else does that. Guys, we talked about my merch. It's the best in the game. These are all of my designs. I mean, you don't... I mean, come on. This isn't some Teespring bullshit. This isn't some Shopify. Well, it is on Shopify, but it's not some, you know, drag and drop, and it's a cotton and machine. It, no, look at this. Look at that. I mean, look at that quality. You get Post Malone's Wikipedia page printed right there. Michael Jackson's 34. I mean, I fall apart. Beer bong of Bentley's psycho. I mean, guys. I mean, come on. I'm tired of pretending like this shit isn't the best. Okay? Um, I mean, you need to make sure my internet's connected. Make sure Dale's not... No, it's connected. All right. No excuses for you, Dale. No excuses for you, Mr. Comstock. No excuses. No, no excuses, excuse. Um. How much... Um, yeah, but I'm, um, that's the new thing I'm interested in is, is a PC. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I do miss gaming and I don't know, there's something fun about it. There's something fun about a PC. Oh, there he is. Dale's here. Dale, Dale, Dale. Dale is arriving. Any second now, he should pop up on the screen. His name is Dale Comstock. I let him into the room, but he's not showing up. Wait, wait, wait. Here he is. Here he is. Can't hear you, Dale. There, it's connecting. Is it connecting? And Dale, I'm on. I'm What's on, up, man. Hey, I've been, uh, we're recording. I've been uh, just kind of just talking out, out of my ass for ten minutes. So uh, yeah, we're recording. <laughs> right. But uh, okay, yeah. all right, cool. I didn't know you was ready. All right, you good? Um, you, do you want me to stop? Yeah. Do you want me to stop recording? No, I'm good, man. All right, all right, cool. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, yeah. Well, everybody, listen. Stale motherfucking Comstock. You know who he is. He's the American badass. His book will be in the description. 
Delta Force at 23, OGA, and a bunch of other stuff that can't be mentioned, but Dale did. Dale is a living Jason Bourne, James Bond, Jack Bauer, but he's cooler than all of them, and he's got a mustache, and he lives in Bali, <laughs> so fuck with him. But uh, we, we broke off. We did two. We did a UFO episode. We did nuclear security, but we're going to steer back towards towards Dale's stories because unlike most of these podcasts, I don't mean me and Dale, I mean me in general, it's just wild speculation and what ifs. Dale's life is more interesting than wild speculation and what ifs. Dale's, I don't, guns don't kill people, Delta Force kills people. That's a fucking awesome <laughs> shirt. I love you, Dale. I love you, Dale. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Dale Comstock, we're back discussing American Badass. Dale, take it away, my dude. Yeah, man. So uh, for everybody that's listening, uh, we'll go into my old bios or anything like that. You can go back to uh, the first episode of Chapter 1 where we start talking about uh, my book, American Badass. Um, So today we're actually up to, looks like, uh, Afghan Cowboy. Um, Oh, yeah. So I think, (laughs) yeah, so this is kind of a funny story, I thought. Um, It's a great story. Had a lot of twists. Yeah, so... So for those of you that have ever seen the movie 12 Strong, right, where the Special Forces ODA goes out in Afghanistan, um, they're, they're the first wave in the, uh, um, in the invasion in Afghanistan. And this 12-man ODA Special Forces team uh, basically take on a horseback mission to meet with uh, one of the warlords and uh, like carry his, his, uh, his warriors to help fight, uh, you know, fight the Taliban. So, um so that was actually not very common. However, it did happen over there. Um, there were times where you had to ride horses, man, in Afghanistan, particularly because it's very mountainous terrain. And if you got to haul, you know, equipment, water, things to the top of a mountain, it's, you know, vehicles, look, the roads not, were not really made for particularly U.S. Uh, vehicles like Humvees. The roads are relatively narrow. They're dirt roads. And... Um, and because of the grade on some some of these roads, they're pretty damn steep. We, at this particular camp, we had uh, well, actually, almost every camp I had where we were embedded in the mountains, we had an OP LPOP that was on the top, basically Overwatch overlooking us. And uh, those guys would go up there, and they would easily stay up in that OP for a week straight. And so um, that was their uh, that was their place of duty on top of this hill. And so they needed to be resupplied with ammunition, water, food, things like that. And the easiest way to get it to them was on the back of horses and mules. Um, also, you know, there was uh, there were times where you know a horse insertion would be uh, you know uh, would be better because of the speed, the terrain, and the, maybe the equipment that you're bringing in, right? So um, I ended up. So make a long story short, uh, I ended up going through some training to ride horses. It was a week long course uh, up in the northeast, and. The goal was to teach us a small, relatively small group of about 10 guys how to pack mules and how to maintain and ride horses. Um, so kind of for a, in a you know, combat role. But really, the whole course was a, um, a zero to nuts course on how to do everything from, you know, maintaining and feeding a horse to literally how to put one down if he gets, you know, injured and uh, you got to put him away. Right. So. Um, really good, interesting training. Had a veterinarian up there. He gave us on the day, on day one, gave us a class on on veterinary care for horses. And my experience is in canines. I've been training canines for over forty years, 
And so what I thought was interesting is I'm going from training predators and managing predators to managing prey animals, but they're nonetheless, uh, they're pack and herd animals. So, um, what I discovered was a couple of things. One was, um, I didn't know that a horse could easily live to be 30 years old. We had a couple up there were like 32 years old. And, uh, what I found interesting was the horses, the horses that we brought in, we actually brought them in. We, we, I don't know where they leased the horses from there, but they brought them in and, uh, we were in a, a kind of a mountainous area up against a, um, um, uh, a reserve, so to speak, and a uh, national park. And, uh, but it was really pristine comfort country, man. Freaking just beautiful up there in the mountains and stuff. And we built a little small paddock with hot wire and, uh, they brought the horses in. And, uh, what we had, you know, we had horses that were up in the thirties and we had horses, we had one horse that was young as, as six, a little, a little, uh, filly. And I couldn't tell the difference between the old horses and the new and the younger horse other than the superficial scarring. But uh, the muscle tone, everything else seemed to be relatively the same, you know. Um, and yeah, it's, and I and I always wondered about that. It's like, man, you know, how is that possible that uh, you know these horses can, you know, the older horses keeping up with the younger horses, no problem, you know, especially on these long rides through the mountains and stuff. And I thought, you know, in terms of human beings, you know, imagine a an eighty or ninety year old dude or woman you know, trying to keep up with, you know, an 18 year old kid, you know, walking through the mountains with uh, a load on his back, you know, and keeping up. Yeah. And, um, and so, and, and I, and I thought, well, what, what makes the difference? Why is that different? In fact, when you look at most animals out there, particularly prey and herding animals, you know, they go literally, they go full bore right up until the minute they die. And when they die, they just drop off like instantaneously. It's all over, you know? Um, we, on the other hand, as human beings, you know, we hang around forever on medicine and wheelchairs, you know, and, and basically, you know, we're the walking dead and uh, we're not much of a quality of life as we get older. If we're, if, you know, if we're in that situation, if we allow ourselves to be in a situation. And by the way, it really is a choice. Um, to some degree, it's a choice. I found that through my studies and, and observations that, uh, you know, we can live, you know, easily 80, 90, 100 years and still be relatively spry, young, strong, and uh, and capable. You know, we don't have to be relegated to a wheelchair and a lot of drugs. It's a matter of, you know, diet, nutrition, and exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, that's what kind of got me going in the direction of getting my doctor's degree in alternative medicine and natural health. So I want to learn more. Yeah. And, um uh, and so I, here I am, you know, I'm kind of using this for my coaching, but also just for my self-preservation. And uh, it, here I am at 58 years it, old, still, it makes you still that killing. It makes you that much more <laughs> of a badass that your doctor did. Well, yeah, so the story is really about, not about me so much, it's about this event that I went through on this train with this horse and what ended up happening. So while we were out there for this week, right, we, you know, we, we were, you know, we had a lot of fun, you know, selling horses, cleaning horses, riding horses, you know. Um, actually, I got dumped by my horse. I had probably one of the best horses out there. He's a ranch horse, Appaloosa, and a uh, pretty spirited horse. And I remember one day we went for a ride, and on the way out, somebody in the back of the formation was wearing a sweatshirt. Like, I don't need it. It's too hot. And took it off and just threw it on the trail, figuring to pick it up when they come back. A horse ain't dumb, man. So we're out for about an hour or two, come back, and my horse is on point. And as my horse is walking down the trail, he could see this sweatshirt laying in the road, uh, in the trail about 50 meters in front of us. And I guess he knew that that wasn't there the first time he came through, and now it's there, right? And he knew it was kind of weird. And so as soon as he saw it, his ears went up, and I could see he kind of like dialing in on it. Okay. And, and almost, I mean, it happened so fast, he bucked me off. 
I didn't even see it coming. I mean, literally just one hard buck and I went flying off his back and literally did a, <laughs> did a complete somersault over his head, landed flat on my back underneath him, looking up at his face, looking down at me. And uh, I'm surprised I didn't break my back, man. <laughs> yeah, it was late. It was a 270 degree flip, man. Just whap, you know, and he was as calm as ever after that. I thought, oh my God, he's going to stomp on did, my head or something. You know? <laughs> so did he know something was up? Did he yeah, he saw that he yeah. saw the sweatshirt and couldn't identify it, and it freaked him out. And I guess maybe he thought I was trying to push him forward, and he wasn't having it, man. He, he took me he took me <laughs> off of his back, right? Um, so we had all this stuff going on. And then uh, and then, so what happened later on was um, we had actually two horses die, right? We had one horse. He was an older horse. He's about thirty two. He's doing fine. And then uh, one day, you could tell he's kind of like getting really sick, like really fast within an hour or two, right? And what he had was what's called, uh, I guess they call it the horse world. They call it torsion. And uh, you know, in, in in the canine world, we have something. We have a similar condition. It's basically where the uh, stomach rotates on its axis, and it's particularly like German shepherds always have a long body. That are very active that that can happen to right it's called bloat b-l-o-a-t with a stomach spins around on his axis and ties off both ends and now you got this balloon right just growing up with gas inside of it until it ruptures and uh it's particularly dangerous when you feed it like a german shepherd right he got full stomach you really don't want to run him because you could end up with that kind of a situation right and it's you look it's not like you just unwrap it right you i mean it's it's a serious life and you know death uh yeah. life and death situation so you got to get surgery and things like that well apparently horses can get the same thing it's called torsion and i remember when the veterinarian brought it up i'm like well you know what do you do you know and uh because uh it's a it's a damn horse right and they're like well they gave us these this i don't know what it was it's kind of like a uh I don't know, electrolyte package of electrolytes and salts and stuff like that, right? It's a white package. They said basically pull this in a bucket of water and give it to the horse and hopefully it'll somehow sort itself out. That seemed to be the only answer, right? So we had some of this stuff. And uh, I'll be damned, we had this horse. He wrote his stomach rotated around on him, right? He was one of the older horses. And uh, you could tell he was just miserable as hell, man. Um, he was just walking around. He was kind of like heaving and throwing up, you know, saliva. And yeah. and uh, you could just tell he was in misery. And uh, he would literally walk through the electric fence unscathed by it. Just oh, he was just like completely gooned out. He would go down to the, there was a little river there. He would walk down the river, just stand in the river, you know, and just kind of like, I don't know, cool himself off. It's but uh, be painful it was, as fuck. Yeah, it was, man. We And we knew it. And we're like, okay, what do we do? Let's try this. Let's try this mixture, right? So I remember we did that and uh, we put his head down in the bucket. He just lost his shit, man. I mean, he was jumping and bucking and, you know, just a wild stallion. And, uh, you know, just went freaking out all over the damn place. And, uh, and finally, he ended up uh, he ended up dying. Is what happened, and so we had to hook him up to a tractor and pull him off to the side, you know. And uh, I'd be damn man, the coyotes just devoured that guy over the night, man. We didn't realize it was going to happen that fast, but we're just trying to get him out of the paddock. And uh, so one was down, right, like that. So we're now down, you know, we're one short of horses, but uh, we had a few spares. And then uh, there was this one particular six year old filly that was everybody really liked, her, very young and spirited, you know, and uh, just. Good little motor, like a puppy, man. But you know, and, and there was another horse that she hung around with, a male. 
he was an ornery horse, man. He went around picking on everybody, bullying them, biting them, you know, kicking them, you know. You could tell he was definitely the alpha, man. And But the little one hung around him, right? She kind of used him for protection. And he kind of seemed to like her, too, right? So they were always together everywhere they went. Well, on the last day of training, um, we're sitting, uh, like, underneath a little tent thing, and, and we're kind of getting a brief back, you know, on the week's training and everything that we, you know, experienced, what we did, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the horses are out there in the paddock. They're all grazing stuff. And we look at them, oh, you know, they're pretty like, serene, right? It's picturesque. But I remember I looked out there. Everything's good to go. I look up at the instructor. I look back out. And when I look back out the second time, that little six-year-old was flat on her side, down hard. And what happened was, apparently, she was grazing behind her friend, um, who, you know, I guess he saw something behind him sneaking up and his first, yeah, first impulse for him when they were shooting, they had horseshoes on was to, to kick. So he fired backwards oh. and caught her right between the, right between the eyes, right? Caved the skull in. Fuck. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty bad, dude. His skull was cracked open. Brains were coming out, but she wasn't dead though. Um, but she was down and she was on her side. You can tell she's gone, but, uh, still functioning, you know, um, and there was no way that she was going to recover, yeah. man. She had blood coming out everywhere. It just you, you could tell she was not all there. And uh, so we're over there trying to evaluate what are we going to do, you know. And it was we had a PA with us, man, like, no, nah, she's done. You know, we're going to have to put her out of her misery because she's still alive. And she did some really weird shit. Like at one point, um, she just started on her side, started running, like galloping at full sprint on her side. She wasn't going with it, but she's laying on her side, just legs just moving like she's in a full gallop for about four or five minutes. Uh, and uh, like, damn, you know, fucking, that's kind of weird. And so, um, who was like, has anybody got a weapon with him, right? And one guy had two firearms in the trunk of his car. He had a 22 and a nine millimeter. And we're like, all right, let's, let's go get the weapon and, and put it out of her misery. So, we were taught by the veterinarian, you know, because we asked the question from the outset of the course, like, what do you do if, you know, you have a horse, you have to put him down. And I remember they were like, oh, that would probably never happen. You'll never have to do it. But, you know, and they said the same thing about the blow. That will probably never happen. But, yeah, you've got you know, two I mean, dead horses in a fucking right, week. <laughs> right. And, and then, so then, you know, she, they told us that on the horse, you draw an X from the ears um, down to the eyes, right? And then you shoot basically center mass of the X in the forehead. And, uh, so okay, so got what twenty two and nine millimeter. Roger that. Go get go get a gun, man. So what do they do? The guy goes up and brings back a twenty two. I'm like, why did you bring back a twenty two? Let's come back with the nine millimeter. Yeah, let's go, you know, let's just do it. All right, whatever. You got what we got, All right? So, anyways, then it got to be a funny, you know, a little shit show. It's like the one guy was like, oh, I'll do this. I'll take you. I can do this. I can do this. Like. Okay, all right, you do it, you do it, you do it. And he's, he's drawing a little X on the horse's head, you know, and and uh, and he wasn't an operator. So he gets a little nervous, and he squeezes the trigger too hard, pulls the muzzle down. Instead of shooting the horse in the in his forehead, he actually shoots it through the sinuses, right? And um, so that made it even worse. Now he got blood and shit, coagulated crap just blowing everywhere, and, you know, the horse is just snorting and choking, and it's just a freaking mess. And, he, and he's like, Yep, 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 that did it, that did it. I'm like, no, 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 that did not do it. No, yeah, that's, that did it. I said, no, no, it did not. Look at his stomach. You know, it's going up and down. He's still breathing. You know, I was like, shit, man. I said, give me the damn gun, you know. And uh, and finally, you know, he got it right and uh, put another one in there and got it over with. We hauled it off. And um, I remember the owner of the horse, he was torqued, man. He's like, what are you doing to my horse? He came up and got him. We're like, really, sir? We didn't do anything. It just these two things happened, and we just had to deal with it, you know. But uh, so, so now, you know, after this week's worth of training, I'm, I'm the, uh, you know, I, I'm not a subject matter expert, but I'm a lot smarter than I was before I got there about horses, right? And I felt pretty confident. I uh, did a lot of riding and, 
you know, felt pretty good about, you know, putting saddles on and the bits and, you know, and grooming and, you know, all those things that go along with riding a horse. And um, so, so now I get done and my next deployment immediately after that is back to Afghanistan to one of the bases I always go to. And it just so happens that that, that base, um, we had, uh, we had basically, about, uh, if I remember right, we had about 12 horses and about uh, as many um, as many mules and probably about six donkeys, right? So um, now over in Afghanistan, the horses, they don't, uh, I guess they don't neuter the horses, you know, I guess it's called gelding. They don't cut their balls off, right? They, mm-hmm. For some reason, they don't do that, right? And uh, I guess it's a macho thing, you know, when I have a, a horse with the nuts, sure. right? But, you know, horses that still, you know, haven't been neutered, they're very spirited animals, man. They're freaking very aggressive. You know, got a lot of energy, man. They're not very docile. Yeah, my 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 dog. I remember I texted you last year when I had to put my dog yeah. down. Oscar, yeah. he was seventeen and a half. His back half is paralyzed since he was two. He was a toy poodle. He was like half blind, mostly deaf. But because he was paralyzed young, his back legs still work. They kind of kicked, but his spine was broken when he was like two. But he would just kind of walk, couldn't control his balance. So he'd wear a little diaper and he would kind of balance on his feet. He was a crazy dog, but he lived to 17 and a half. Point is, Ouch. is we never got him neutered because he couldn't use it. And he ne- so he had his balls and he would put him in a little wheelchair and we'd take him for his walks. I can attest, <coughs> dude, pit bulls, Rottweilers. I mean, we would see deer. And he would, Oscar would start going fucking nuts. He thought he was the biggest, be- he's growling. And then it was, I'd always just be like, I'd love you. Cause he was like, he was like six pounds. He was maybe 11 inches tall. Dude, foaming at the mouth, he would go off to go after pit bulls, labs, German shepherds because he had his nuts. He couldn't, you know, and, but it's true. They don't, there's no, he doesn't know what, you know, they just think yeah. they're invincible. <laughs> yeah. So we, so I go over there and, uh, at the base and i'm thinking okay well cool we had a guy we had a stable hand his job was to maintain all the horses and the mules and stuff and uh and i thought well shit now that i'm a now that i'm an afghan cowboy i'm just gonna go over and ride one of these horses so i go down there and but I ain't, i'm not dumb right so i'm like okay i know these are like you know these are these are stallions man and uh I said, I'm not going to go down there completely, you know, vulnerable either. So I armed myself. I carried my nine millimeter, my Glock on my side, right? And, uh, gun belt. And I go down, I tell the stable hand, Hey, I want to ride a horse. Um, you know, give me a horse to ride. And so he picks out this big black stallion, man, beautiful horse, right? And, um, I said, all right, that'll do. Now, over there, they don't have, uh, well, they may have them, but we didn't have them. They don't have leather saddles. They have wooden, they literally make them out of wood. Saddles are out of wood. Yeah, can you imagine riding a wooden saddle? Um, this particular one had like a crack down the middle, you know. I don't know if that's where your balls hang down in there or what's going on. But, right. uh, uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, it was not a comfortable saddle, right? It, but it was a saddle. And uh, he, he look, looks the horse up, puts the reins in, and, uh, you know, I, I mount the horse. And right now, so far, so good. We're, you know, the horse is probably thinking, who is this guy? But uh, he's, he's being compliant because I – at least pretending like I knew what I was doing. And a horse can sense if you don't know what you're doing. He knows if you don't know what you're doing. And if, as soon as you don't know what you're doing, he'll take advantage of you, right? Yeah. So I got on there trying to be cocky. Like, hey, I, I got this. I know what I'm doing, buddy. You know, I get on the horse and uh, I back and put it in reverse, back him up, you know, get him turned around. And then uh, we go out the front gate. And I'm thinking, okay, we're going to have a good little ride, you know? Yeah. And I'm pretty happy with myself because so far, 
I'm actually being able to guide this horse and get him out on my own, you know, on my own, right? Okay. Nobody's holding on to the reins for me. And uh, I get out and I start to ride. And then lo and behold, the stable hand decides he wants to go ride with me. So he gets his horse and he comes out. And I didn't invite him along. All I know is I turn around and look and here he comes on his horse. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. Well, as soon as he got closer to me, my horse saw his horse and it was game on. Um, it was game on. Now, one of the pieces of equipment he had that he didn't give me, and I don't know if he did that intentionally, but over there they carry a club, you know, basically a, a long, like, you know, about a 24, 36-inch stick, right? And uh, they whack these horses to keep them, you know, to keep them in line yeah. because they're, they're all over yeah. the place to keep them, you know, so they'll give them a crack with the, uh, with the stick. But he didn't give me one of those. Um, and so... When he comes out on his horse, my horse saw his horse, they saw each other, and then it was game on, man. And then for whatever reason, they decided they're going to see who can run faster. <laughs> and, I, and I wasn't any part of this. Uh, you know, I had no part in this negotiation. <laughs> I'm just along for the ride, man. Like, wait, whoa, what? <laughs> and my horse takes off full gear. And the other guy stopped. He just, he didn't even follow. He managed to control his horse because he had the power steering module. I didn't have it, right? And, uh, and my horse takes off and runs up the side of this hill, right? And on the top of the hill, we had an LPOPs, our listening post, observation post. And it was about a platoon of Afghans that were up there with all the machine guns. You know, they had, you know, that's, that's their encampment. You know, they had their tents and ponchos and everything up there. And basically, there was a place of duty 24-7. They were providing overwatch. And, uh, my horse runs up this hill and runs through this camp at full tilt. And I cannot stop him, man. I'm I'm pulling back on the on the reins. I'm trying to rein him in on one side. You know, I'm leaning back in the saddle and I'm getting I'm getting zero response, man. This this thing's on autopilot, doing what it wants. <clears throat> and it goes blaring through the freaking camp. And literally I'm riding through you know, laundry sheet, laundry's hanging and stuff. I'm riding through the freaking laundry and shit, you know, and <laughs> all the Afghans are running for their lives, like, what the hell is going on? And the horse is just speeding through the camp, man, just running all over all over their shit, you know. <laughs> and uh and I'm just hanging on for dear life, going, crap, I can't stop him, man. And um, so he bails through and he turns around, and he comes back, and he's again full speed out the camp. And uh, you know, we basically go in there and just decimated the place. And uh now we're running down the hill, and it was, you know, it was very rocky terrain. A lot of rocks, man, rocks and boulders. Um, it's Afghanistan. So this horse is hauling ass down this hill, pretty steep hill, you know, with all these rocks and shit. And I'm hanging on, and my foot comes out of one of the stirrups on the left side. And uh, I fall off the horse because he's just going berserk. And I'm, I am not that damn good, right? So I fall off the horse, and my other leg gets caught in the stirrup. doesn't come out of the stirrup. So now I'm getting dragged, right, by this horse down this mountain across these rocks. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I can't get my foot out. He's going to kill me. You know, and he ain't stopping. Yeah. He ain't waiting, right? And so, um, you know, I'm processing all, all like super fast. Like, oh, shit, he's going to kill me. I got to kill him first because mm -hmm. I can't get my foot out, right? So I actually get down and grab my pistol, get out of my holster. And, uh <laughs> you know, I'm and I'm trying to, and I'm sliding and bumping. I'm trying to get a shot because I'm going to have to shoot him in the head because if yeah. I shoot him anywhere else, it's probably not going to kill him. Not immediately. Right. So I got, yeah, I got to get him a head shot and you know, take certain central nervous system out and put him down. Right. And, uh, crack, take my first shot and I miss, you know, and, uh, and he's still hauling ass. Like, God damn, man. And just as I get ready to pull the trigger again, my foot comes out of the stirrup on its own. 
And I rolled down the hill, man. And I'm like, holy shit, that was slow. He just keeps on going, man. It's just all the way back to the barn. And uh, so then, you know, the, the, the uh, stable master, you know, he saw, he watched the whole thing go down. And I get up and I'm putting my gun away. I'm dusting myself off and shit. And I'm like, what the, you know, my pants are all ripped up and stuff. And uh, a little just, you know, disheveled, uh, disheveled by all that. And uh, the stable hand comes up. And he looks at me and goes, hey, take my horse. You can have my horse, right? And uh, and I'm like, no, 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 no. He goes, no, no, take my horse. It's okay. You ride my horse, you know? And I'm, 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 not, I'm done with horses right now, right? Well, now I'm done. He goes, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. You know, maybe, you know, maybe he set me up with a bad horse and he knew it. I don't know what was going on, but I was like, okay. And so I just start to mount the horse and I snatched that stick out of his hand. I said, give me this this time, you know? <laughs> I need a power steering module. You didn't give it to me last time. And uh, so I get on the horse and I'll be damned. As soon as I get on this horse, he just starts spinning around. Like as fast as he can. Here I am. Whoa! I go off again, right? I'm like, son of a bitch, man. And, uh, you know, I figured, okay, these these guys know me, man. They know that I am not not capable of riding. Not these guys, you know, they're just too much. And I handed the guy his his power steering module back and said, you know what? I'm done. And I was done. Like, no more horses for me, man. Because, man, that could have killed me. Either one of those dudes could have killed me, man. Slinging me around like that in the rocks and stuff, you know? Absolutely. But, um, it's have you there's a quote sorry there's a quote i was watching about like a delta force documentary or something i think that's what led to me originally reaching out to you was i was like learning about delta force and there was a quote from one of the guys that i guess like did selection or like coordinated it and he said they said we don't take the best man we take the right man and uh, i'm just thinking like i wonder what constitutes the right man and it was i think we just saw a brief moment of it and it's i had to think fast he was going to kill me so i had to kill him first and i was like that's the right that's the right man for the job (laughs) he's going to kill me so i have to kill him first i was like oh it makes sense now but yeah man yeah i'd 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 have dropped him no problem man um you know but uh, he got lucky that day so did i but I uh, didn't have any more of that horse riding crap going on there. If I need to go somewhere by car, four wheels. Do you think it's <laughs> so, some? Do you think it's like if these horses have their nuts? Do you think it's something like? It's I a mean, testosterone, man. Well, I mean, do you think it's like they detect it in like? I mean, operators. I mean, you guys are the, the you guys are the alpha. Do you think there's some sort of like they detect like you know maybe they wouldn't do that with like a beta male bitch if like I was there they'd be like yeah we'll take you for a ride but they see you or someone like Joe or whoever and they're like you know they butt heads uh, uh, you know I don't know I I mean, they, they might smell testosterone you know um, as well but uh, I'm sure they do but I know that when they rode like our uh, our security patrols would ride the horses around the perimeter of the base and they would ride you know three four man patrols on the horseback and I swear, watching these guys ride together was like the horses were just constantly up and down, yeah. jerking and bucking and nipping each other's necks back and forth. You know, the guys are clubbing them you know, yeah. over the head, like, stop it, stop it, stop Like, holy shit, man. I mean, you can't even enjoy the ride, man, because yeah. it's just the whole way, just bucking and carrying on, you know? Um, yeah, it was crazy. But, um, yeah, that was not... Uh, it was a stark difference from that uh, ranch horse I was riding, even though he threw me off. Mm-hmm. At least he was nice enough to wait for me to get back on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, we, and, we were, and we were fine. But this one, man, this one was savage. Um, all right. So that was my little my little experience riding horses. Uh, a little embarrassing. But, um, you know, I learned some lessons. The power of a horse, man, is just incredible, man. That first horse that launched me off his back was like a catapult. It happened so fast. 
And all I remember is sitting on his back and then waking up on my back, like looking up at him, like, what the hell? And I'm still holding on to the reins, right? Does, does that, does that, how does that affect your, like, uh, how does that affect your perception of, like, history? Thinking of, like, old armies and shit riding horses. Does that change your having, like, ridden a horse? Does that change how you, I, don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know what, what, what I'm going, it's okay, it's like the first time I shot a pistol, and like a video game, a pistol is always like the quietest thing compared to the other guns first time I ever shot a pistol, I was like, Jesus Christ, it's loud as fuck, and I realized, I was like oh, it's kind of like the whole you know, every battle plan doesn't survive contact with the enemy, it's like, oh, this is, all of a sudden, every war scene in every movie looked different, I was, you know, like when I shot the, uh, the M2 the first time yeah. All of a sudden, that so, threw World War II in a different light. So, sorry, what I want to say is when you ride a horse and you kind of see in reality what it is, you see how, like, monstrous these things, does that change your perception of even just cowboys and Indians and shit? Yeah, actually, man, it does because, uh, first of all, I tell you what, you can't ride a horse that damn long before, you know, like, for example, wearing blue jeans on a horse, particularly on a horse bareback, um, they're just the seams of your blue jeans on the inside will just tear you a, a new ass, man. Yeah. I mean, it's very painful. It's, it's you know, at, with time, just it's just not a comfortable thing, you know. And I'm thinking, man, how do these cowboys ride yeah. all day long, or even Clark? You know, Indians riding bareback, you know. On a, you know, I mean, the horse is sweating, and you're freaking, you know, your legs are freaking burning and sweating, and you know, the seams of your pants are rubbing you raw. Um, yeah, you know, so I look. I think back to you know the history. You know, people riding horses. It's like they make it look so easy in the, mu- mm-hmm. in the movies, but uh, um, it's not really. I mean, unless you've got some high speed equipment and saddles and stuff like that, I don't see how it's a very comfortable thing on a day to day basis. You know, and uh, but yeah, it gave me a lot of respect because one, the power of a horse, man. Um, you got to respect that because he could kill you like no problem, man. Yeah. Um, you know, and you're lucky that you can even get on him sometimes without uh, him giving you any, uh, you know, any resistance. But, um, you know, just the whole, the you know, the, and the cool thing is some horses are just like dogs. They have different yeah. personalities. You know, some are real docile, some are little assholes, you know, some are real sneaky. Um, you know, they, they know you don't know how to ride them. They'll, they'll spin around and they won't let you get on them, you know, like the laughing at you stuff. What's funny is my son, though, my son turned out to be a horse enthusiast and uh he's also a green beret um and a ranger and uh but he was a, early on he was a he was a horse he liked horses man and uh he actually had a race horse and uh, he was quite adept at riding horses better than i was man uh, i actually went up to his place and he had some horses out there and, and uh kind of rode around a little bit but um, he actually had the knack for it more so than i did yeah. <clears throat> but um yeah yeah horses um yeah you have to look back and look back in the you know God, man, how people cross America on the back of a horse, you know, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's I guess you get used to it, but I can tell you, I didn't get used to it in a week. Yeah. Um, everything was hurting after that. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, like my, my mindset always changes. Like, again, when you see reality, you know, my old man's got a, they've got a, my parents got a, a nice place way out in the woods. I mean, it's out, it's out there and driving out, just driving out there in an air conditioned, you know, SUV is like you're way out in the sticks and you got to bring either solar power they've got well water it's all fantastic and shit but when you go out there and you see how much of a bitch it is to go out there in 2021 with you know satellite gps and you can bring your toothpaste and your toilet paper 
and it, it always just fucks with my head because I just think of like loggers and shit in like the early 1900s 1800s and stuff and you're like <laughs> you start to realize you're like that was a different breed of man and you're like that okay the guys building railroads in Alaska you're like these truly were like Paul Bunyan motherfuckers like right yeah. like yeah. like it's and then real quick question how does that how does that make you think of like was it Hannibal that rode the elephants oh uh, yeah <laughs> Uh, I can't even imagine that man getting on the top of an elephant. They're, they're actually more temperamental when they yeah. start. Uh, what they call it, going into a musk and uh, the testosterone levels go up. That's why you know you see them in, in you know on television, the news, in India, places they're running through villages, trampling people yeah. and shit. It's because you know there's a there's a there's a chicken heat somewhere, and these guys are going into musk, man, and uh, they just get really angry. <laughs> so um, yeah, I can imagine that. I've actually seen video of guys riding these elephants um, and getting attacked by a tiger, man. Like, holy shit, you know? They usually ride elephants because it scares the tigers away, yeah. you know? But I've seen one video where a tiger actually left at the at the, uh, at the the elephant. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm done with riding stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll stick to motorcycles and cars and, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So next one I was going to go into next chapter while we're here is yeah. go up to uh, it's called up close and personal and uh, so uh, this particular one was a raid in Baghdad that we did this particular guy was around 31 32 years old he was a terrorist um, you know he was a uh, he was really responsible for um, either financing or placing a lot of IEDs that were killing Americans and and so he was definitely on the hit list but he was hiding out in uh, so over there they had like a uh, a neighbor like neighborhoods just for retirees from the military which is kind of interesting and uh so it's kind of like quarters area like housing area and uh this particular guy lived in one of these housing areas and so i remember we um we decided we we're gonna go get him one night and we we kind of flew an offset with a helicopter and then we walked uh through the neighborhood in the middle of the night up to his house and my team was actually gonna my so my my Iraqi team was going to be the team that actually breaches the front door and goes in and clears it. So we get up to the uh, we get up to his front doorstep. It's dark out, and uh, you know we place the explosives. And for the first time, this was the first one of the first times I was not the first one in. The team got in before I did, but uh, so boom, the charge goes off. The team enters, and when they go into the front door, it's actually the front door that leads right into the living room. And directly across it is the uh, master bedroom. So, um, and, which, and the door was closed on that also. So we breached the door. It's pretty good charge that went off. Um, in fact, it threw a lot of shrapnel, you know, and pieces and parts from the door into the opposing wall on the far side. And uh, so it had, it, it threw a lot of fragmentation. But anyways, we breached, we, we enter, and uh, it's no hesitation. I mean, there's nobody in the living room. So these guys right away went straight for the bedroom door, figuring that's the next door in the sequence. And uh, boom, they go in. I'm, I'm right behind them at this point. I'm in the stack. And uh, they go through the front door. And, uh, you know, they go left, right, left, right. You know, they flood the room. And, uh, and then I come in. And so here we go. So we got the guy. And he's on top of this Iraqi chick getting it on. I mean, he's nailing it, right? Freaking, they're pounding away. And you would think that when the first charge went off on the front door, he would have got out of his bed and grabbed his guns or jumped out the back window or something. But he didn't even quit. Either we were like super fast. I don't know. Maybe you know. Maybe it was a combination of both. Because I mean, 
boom, we're in, and then boom, we're in a second room. And we got, we're in the master bedroom, and this guy's having sex with this Iraqi woman. Uh, and I'll note here, she had, she had big boobs too. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, and he's, so he's, he's on top of her, and I'm standing right next to him on the bed, and I got my, my weapon pointed at his head, and, and I tell him, I said, get up, right? And he looks at me, and he's like, had this like, come on, man. And he's, and, he, and he's pointing at the woman. He's like, come on, man. Look what I'm doing. Look what I got. You know, give me a second, you know? And it was, it was almost like, just hold on, hold just, on. Let me finish what I'm doing. blow my brain and, out in a second. Like, Yeah, and I, and I kind of got, like, he, the nerve of this guy. He wants to go ahead and finish up while we watch him, you know? And so, so I hit him in the, in the forehead with the butt of my, with the uh, barrel of my rifle. I said, get the hell out of the bed, man. And he gets up, and she jumps up and covers up, you know? And we, we wrestle to the ground and cuff his ass up and uh he had wads of money all kinds of sh- all kinds of guns laying on the dresser man he had a lot of stuff laying there but he was definitely the guy we wanted and i don't think he was expecting us uh, that night and uh she sure as hell wasn't she was freaking out man <laughs> and we're like just you know hey just stand in the corner cover up you know we'll be out of here in yeah. a minute you know and you can help yourself to all that money and stuff if you want you yeah, know? Go we're gone right yeah <laughs> so so that was our raid over there um which was still you know kind of a uh, uh, kind of a memorable thing but what made it so memorable was that uh the guy's response it was there was no response i mean a huge breaching charge w- just went off probably less than you know 20 feet away on an outside door and and he knows we're coming in yelling hard and then a bam the be- bedroom door comes in and he's still on there it's, i mean it must have been good man well, <laughs> that's yeah, all i can say you gotta think though there are some parallels between that and and the horses you're talking about earlier it's like maybe yeah. you know it's like too much testosterone might it might actually be a bell curve of efficacy you know it's like you yeah. know whether it's the horses nipping at each other and it's like they can't complete the mission it's a guy just you know pounding away getting some poon and it's like breaches are going off and like you know if he hadn't, if he wasn't, you know, fucking, he probably would have been gone. But yeah. it's kind of it's tunnel vision, right? It's it's <laughs> it's, it's too much. But you got to I got to think, man. No one's ever gonna believe that girl. So I was yeah. fucking this guy. We're surrounded by money and guns, and it's like, uh huh, sure. No, no, no. And, th- and then <laughs> and then a tier one team comes in with nods and gear, and they take him away, and he won't even finish fucking me. So another guy hits him in the forehead. All right, honey, like, you dumb hoe. And it's like this is actually what happens. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Yeah, um, man. Uh, you actually, all you women. actually see, you actually kind of see a lot of that, believe it or not, because yeah. all our raids are almost always at night between mm-hmm. Afghanistan, Iraq, and sure. other places. And we've gone in before, like in Afghanistan, and there they are, man. You're in bed getting it on, you know. It's is, like, you know. And, now, would there be, sorry to interrupt. It's, I know I've been interrupting you nonstop. Is, is uh, there, that's right. Is there, I wonder, could there be any tactical, could that change? I mean, granted, this would, I mean, this would get really, this would get really complex. But, like, man, it seems like strategy that you'd almost want to use, like, thermal or infrared and you know, well, obviously, you got a weight target of opportunity. Can you go get, go get him? You don't want to be too picky, but I mean, if you could wait until he's pumping away, I mean, I'm all these guys have harems of women. I'm sure they're fucking every night. I mean, if you're you're already going in at three in the morning, right? You want to get them at the least opportune uh, time for them. This might be evidence of like you go back and like go back to I guess whatever like Delta and be like, hey, this is a new. Uh, this is a new training module. <laughs> a new strategy, yeah. For I mean, exactly, new tactic. <laughs> I mean, two breaching charges and he still didn't move? That's, yeah. I mean, for guys that shave 
thousandth of a second off your tactics for an edge, you get a guy that you can come in there and point a gun at him and he's still looking at you like nothing. I mean, is that not <laughs> invaluable? Is that not? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, we, he's, it, it was not uncommon to run into stuff like that, That's even in Afghanistan, man. You know, um, you know, freaking. I remember some teenagers, boy and girl, they're in there doing it, you know, and they jump out, they're all freaking out and stuff. But, uh, uh, yeah, you know, well, I mean, they don't know. The- yeah. I remember you telling me a lot of hard drives you guys see, I mean, a lot of it's pornography, right? I mean, the more oppressed or sub- sexually suppressed a nation or society is, it tends to be the more crazy shit, you know, look at Japanese porn. It's insane. And it's because they don't, they don't have any outlet for it. I mean, yeah. so maybe it's not even, you know, fucking a girl. I mean, I wonder if there actually is a tactical advantage to, I mean, if you could use thermals or infrared to even just see if the dude's watching porn and jerking off. I mean, does that create such a tunnel vision of testosterone and epinephrine and oxytocin and dopamine that they are essentially anesthetized to external stimuli? I mean, if you could have a predator up there or a reaper watching this guy and you want you know you want to take him alive... You know, I'm sure that they've got some cameras on there that could see a guy jerking off. Go in now. Now's the time. <laughs> Go in when he's yeah. jerking off. It, it really not. I don't think it's practical. Okay. I don't even know we have that capability because, you know, like in Afghanistan, the walls are very thick because yeah. they're made out of mud, right? Yeah. Um, it's mud, yeah. dirt, and stone. So yeah. it'd be hard to kind of see in. But none of that, um, whether it's Afghanistan or Iraq, as soon as you get in the neighborhood, yeah. you got to assume you're compromised. It's the dogs fine. start barking, you know, and uh, so, you know, you don't have a lot of time to sure. get in there it, this before, is, you know. Yeah. yeah. This it's is like it. anywhere else. You know, you, if your dog barks a certain way, you know somebody's outside, uh-huh. right? And so it's the same thing with them. That's why they keep dogs around. They're, they're greater sure. alarm dogs, you know. It's probably, this is the equivalent of like, you know, this is the equivalent of like the the rich celebrity who's like, why didn't the cops just shoot him in the leg? And it's like when adrenaline kicks <laughs> and you're in tunnel vision, right? You empty the mag center mass until the person's down. It's this is the equivalent of me being like, well, why don't you wait until he's having sex? And it's like, dude, you got to get the whole team. You got to send in the Blackhawks, right? You get, you know, the targets there, your asset on the ground's telling you that he's there. It's time sensitive. The whole village is in on it. Like you said, you know, they were like Mogadishu, right? They, they start putting tires down. There's no wait until he's jerking off. This is why I'm not in the Pentagon. This is why I'm, this is why I'm secluded to my, my podcast. <laughs> well, yeah. So, um, yeah, a lot of interesting stuff. Next one I was going to talk about is um, so some peculiarities, particularly with the Afghans. Um, we had this one guy. He was our in, he's an Afghan, but he was he was uh, an intel analyst for us basically, and he was really good at, at collecting intel. In fact, at one point he was Taliban. He was a lawyer. He's a Taliban. He's actual lawyer. Um, but working for Taliban, and he switched sides, came to work for us, and. Uh, he was a guy basically responsible for, um, you know, going through all the intelligence and helping, you know, develop, uh, you know, our, our battle plans, things like that. For the most part, pretty decent guy, man. Very, you could definitely tell he was educated. Um, he ended up in Pakistan as a lawyer. And now he's back in Afghanistan, you know, fighting, uh, fighting the war. And uh, so, I, you know, I always thought, you know, that guy's pretty respectful. I mean, he's got, you know, he's got a law degree. He's pretty damn smart, you know. He carried himself a certain way until one day. One day he comes into the office to ask a question. 
And I look at him, I go, what in the hell? So what happened, what he did was he had, he took a, a sewing needle with his thread and he taped it to the top of his eyebrow so that the needle was right in front of his eyeball swinging, right, on one side. And I'm like, what in the hell is that? What, I said, what are you doing there, right? And what he told me was he had a sty in his eye. And so whatever, some Afghan, mo, you know, mojo stuff. I don't know what it was, but he said that was how you make the sty go away. You basically tape a needle by a string to the top of your, your eyebrow and let it dangle from your eyeball, and, and it makes the uh, sty go away. So what's a, what's and, a sty? You know, a sty is like a, a coastal, like a coastal, but like, you know, when your eye gets inflamed. Okay, um, okay. You know, you need a red sty there, yeah, a little pus you know, okay. head on it. It's kind of irritating. I get them from time to time. Sure. Um, but, you know, he's wearing that. And I'm like, Jesus, man, this guy was a lawyer. And he's, you know, he's handling all intel. And he's coming in with some, this is his this is his medical answer to a sty. <laughs> uh, you know, it has all kinds of scratching our head. I go, okay, you know, all right. And then, uh, Got and then later on. Yeah, and then later on we we catch a guy, and uh, got him you know hemmed up, and and so now this was when all right, so this is when Kane, what's his name, came out. Um, Senator Kane came out. The basically insisted that there's no should be no interrogations, right? Because he was a prisoner of war. Interrogations don't work, you know, which is total bullshit. Uh, I'm here to tell you firsthand information. Interrogations work. Um, there are many American kids alive today because interrogations work. And by the way, they don't have to be like, you know, the, the first blood movies, Rambo, where, you know, they're pulling out your fingernails with, you know, pliers and driving, you know, nail bits into your, uh, you know, into your um, your knees. You don't have to be that extreme. They just have to think you're going to do bad shit to yeah. them and they'll freaking start singing like canaries, you know. And uh, so, but when he came out that policy, you know, Basically, it was, you know, we, it started out, you know, we got POWs. Okay, we don't have POWs. We're not allowed, they're not prisoners of war anymore. We can't have prisoners. Um, so what are they now? Well, they're, they're personnel under control. We call them pucks. Okay, now he's a personnel under control. We can't interrogate him. Well, what do we do with him? We interview them. Like, really? Yeah, so, you know, basically, and you can only interview him for three days. So you catch a bad guy um, or you think he's a bad guy. You can you can isolate him, but you got to give him three hots in the cot. Be nice to him. Um, you can't be mad at him. You can't call him names. You got to ask him questions nicely. And according to the liberal liberal think, if you're nice to the bad guy, he'll be nice to you, and and he'll work with you, which is total bullshit. They they knew the game, right? So you ask all the questions you want, and they weren't going to answer. They'll tell you some bullshit, and uh, and so. Um, I remember we had this one particular guy and it was getting really frustrating because one of the things these guys would do when you catch them is the first question out of their mouth was, are you arresting me, arresting me as a terrorist or as a criminal? Right. There was a difference because if you're arresting him as a terrorist, he was happy because he knew all he's got to do is shut his mouth for three days. He gets to eat and sleep and nothing's going to happen. You're going to give him all his kit, his gear back and he gets to leave. If you get him as a criminal, the Afghan uh, the national Afghan national police take charge, and he's doomed. He's going to some freaking dungeon for a long time if he survives that. So he was happy to be a terrorist because he knew we, we were going to treat him nice because we we're supposed to, right? And uh, so that was kind of frustrating too because what do you do with these guys? You know, hey, Mister Bad Guy, can I ask you a question? Where's your leader at? You know, and it doesn't work. None of that works, yeah. right? Um, you know, and so unfortunately. 
you know what? Unfortunately, it's this liberal mindset, this this thinking, this belief that, you know, we're better than that. We don't interrogate. We don't have to be mean to the bad guy. If we're nice to the bad guy, he'll work with us and be nice to us. Man, that's so damn naive, man. That's so naive. And I hate that when the civilian world gets involved in shit like this because they don't know jack about war fighting, man. Especially in that particular part of the world at the time. And so... I remember we had a case officer. He's trying to interview this guy, and the, and the guy's just like not cooperating, not at all, right? And it's just very frustrating. And uh, so finally, the case officer just loses his shit. He goes, "You know who we are? You know who we are as Americans? We put men on the moon. Just imagine what we could do to you. We could put men on the moon. Just think what we do to you." And the guy laughed, right? He just literally laughed. He goes. No way. You don't you can't put a man on the moon. The moon's only that big. Right? And uh, you know and, Christ in and, and that was his mindset. It was because from the distance you, the moon was only about an inch <laughs> an inch wide, right? We pulled little fingers up there. And he couldn't fathom the idea that we could actually go all the way up there and the moon is massive and stand on it, right? But he laughed. He's like, Yeah, you couldn't fool me on that one. I know the moon's only that big, you know. And we're looking at you like, uh, these guys are kicking our ass, by the way. <laughs> I, was about to, I was about to say, yeah. That's, that's got to be a head f- I wonder if you can then switch that, though. Be like, okay, well, if this guy is naive enough to think the moon is that small, I wonder if you could fuck with some other stuff, right? You could, like, you know, I don't know. Well, you know, and here's the other problem we came into. So, now... And this is why we're doomed as a country. This this is this is all started a while back. Yeah. Okay, um, I'll tell you, it started during the Obama era. Okay, the whole shit in Afghanistan really did turn into a shit sandwich, in large part because these policies that were coming down from the left. So, you know, it got to the point where you had to watch everything you do because you didn't know if the guy on your left or your right was going to rat you out, right? Um, you just didn't know. Look, sometimes we would go down range, go out on an op, and uh, you know we might have some non-combat arms types with us because we need them for, like, for example, um, what do they call them? Um, um, God dang it, they call them uh, fit teams, uh, fit uh, field intelligence teams, stuff like that. But basically, it would be comprised of you know analysts, you know inter- interpreters. You know, American interpreters, um, chicks that are not used to seeing, you know, these kind of operations go down and the violence that comes with it. And so anything they saw that was scary, you know, right away, you know, it was it was really up to their interpretation what they saw. And a lot of times they didn't know what they saw. They just saw me punch a guy in the face and fall down. But what they didn't see was, you know, the guy spit on me or something, mm-hmm. you know. Being, being resistant. All they saw me is punch him in the face and knock him out and then handcuff him. And so that gets reported as, you know, uh, we're assaulting and, and abusing detainees. No, they're spitting on me, okay? Um, possibly spreading communicable diseases, you know, and I'm going to punch him in the face because it's a form of assault, yeah. right? And so, so you always had to be careful of that. In fact, I remember one night I was on our target and we were way up on the mountains, man. We climbed a long way. We were so high up on the mountains that we could see the helicopters in the valley flying below us. And uh, Jesus. we we hit this this village, and uh, you know, get in there, and you know, there's a little bit of a gunfight goes on. 
And then some of the guys, some of the bad guys run out and they run down the hill. And, uh, and I'm standing and I could see them running down the hill, probably, I don't know, three, 400 meters down the hill, right? They're hauling ass trying to get away. And uh, I start to take the shot. And one of the guys grabs me and goes, hey, man, he goes, don't do it. I go, what's the matter? He goes, look up, right? And he reminded me that above me was the, uh, what we call the ISR bird. Basically, small aircraft, it's got all kinds of sensors and cameras and stuff. And basically, he's recording everything that's happening on the target, right? He's got all kinds of infrared and stuff, you know? And so, had I popped those guys on the bottom of the hill, now they've got a record. And somebody could, you know, contest that. Go, oh, well, you ran a guy, you shot a guy in the back that was running away from the target. Yeah, he was just a bad guy shooting at us. And basically, he's running away. Who knows? Maybe to set up an IED, maybe to get to a you know a DSHK machine gun that's sitting on the other side and start blasting us with it. You know, he's a bad guy. But uh, it got to that point where now everybody's afraid to do their job because you know they might get reported for for doing their job because somebody else didn't like it. And I'll use another example that uh, I think is a, is a classic example of what was going on. So in, in Baghdad. Um, so Alan West, former Senator Alan West, good friend of mine. And um, so he was a colonel in the Army um, in Baghdad. And as I understand the story, I wasn't there per se, but as I understand the story, um, he his unit had grabbed or captured a couple of uh, um, insurgents. And so they were getting IED quite a bit on this road. And this one particular night, they rolled up a couple of guys. They knew there were IEDs down the road. They didn't know where. And... Uh, and so they didn't want to proceed down the road with the IEDs there, so they get hit. And so he started interrogating or interview, interviewing the guys about the uh, um, the IEDs, and basically they're being defiant, you know, whatever, screw you, you know. And uh, so finally, Alan, as I understand it, you know, pulled out a, a weapon, handgun, and put it to the guy's head. He goes, "You're either going to tell me, I'm going to let the air out of you, you know." And sure shit, the guy starts singing like a canary and told him where the IEDs were. And so essentially, it worked. And guess what? No Americans died that night. But somebody that was there had a, had a problem with that. And we reported him. And within, I think, 72 hours, Alan West was discharged uh, from the Army. And um, he <laughs> becomes a senator, which was cool. Anyways, it's kind of in your face. But uh, that's the kind of stuff that was going on, man. Um, you you know, I, I've been on bases where I was on a, on a Ford operating base one time where we had uh, the OGA there. And had a lot of what we call combat tourists. These are, you know, people that come in from uh, consulates around the world, you know, maybe they're in Paris, you know, and, oh, hey, you, we got an opening for someone to go to Afghanistan to a forward operating base uh, for intelligence duty. Oh, I want to go, I want to go, because it's their, you know, they get to check the bot that they did intel in a combat zone, so they go to a forward operating base, you know, and that's why we call them combat tourists. And, uh, and so, but what they tend to do sometimes is just get in the way. And I remember at this one particular site, um, we had uh, our own compound, a little tiny compound within the bigger compound. And uh, we had our skiff in there. Uh, you know, all the secure stuff was inside of this one little inner compound. And uh, and I remember, um, you know, it basically was our fallback position because we had over 500 Afghan mercs in our, in, our other, in our facility. And we know that some of those guys are Taliban because they're always in the ranks. You can't. You know, maybe your ranks were good until somebody gets converted, gets radicalized. Now he's a Taliban or they just kind of they worked their way in. Right. They, and we it happened all the time. So we know they were there. So you always had to kind of watch your back as well, you know, because you just never know when your own guys is going to shoot you and uh, and or overrun the whole camp in the middle of the night while everybody's asleep. So I remember this one uh, 
this one girl was there and uh i think she was logistics or something or intel analyst i can't remember now i remember she had blonde hair and uh so this this basically everybody always carried at least a minimum of a sidearm inside the camp right um if not your whole you know your rifle as well um but as a minimum, you carry a sidearm right and so she never wore a sidearm ever and I, and there was only about, uh, I think a total of maybe 14 Americans in this camp with over 500 Afghans and only three of us were shooters. Okay. The rest were logistics, intelligence, you know, freaking, I had all, you know, these off the wall jobs and communications, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, I remember asked her one day, I said, where's your, where's your sidearm? She goes, I don't believe in guns. I said, what do you mean? You don't believe in guns? Said, I don't believe in guns, right? She don't wear a gun because she don't believe in them. I go, you know where you are, right? She goes, yeah, I don't care. I don't believe in guns. I go, you know what? I said, you need to carry a sidearm. It's not for just your protection. It's for my protection. That's why I carry this gun. It's not just for me. It's for you. I said, you know, when the, when they come over the walls, all we got is each other. Mm-hmm. And if you're standing there with your teeth in your mouth and no gun, you're useless. I might, as well put, I might as well put one in your head and get it over with, too. You're in my way now. But it just didn't resonate, man. But that's the kind of attitude, that's the kind of thinking that you, you know, comes to you, man, uh, in, that, in that whole situation. I realized later on in the war, man, it's like, you know, I got to get out of here, man. The, this is no longer about war fighting. This is all about almost like running a corporation. Yeah. And uh, and you got people here that don't believe in the war fighting, uh, you know, the, the reason we're there. And they're just there to check the block, get their combat time, you know, so they can get promoted later on. And, oh, guns are not part of the equation. Even though this is a gunfight that we're in, a major gunfight, well, we don't need guns. Just, you know, we don't believe in guns. So this, so we're, you know, as, as an American, man, as a warfighter, you know, I'm not only fighting the Afghans, I'm fighting this liberal mindset from America, right? So really, that's what we're fighting, man. Not just the enemy. We're fighting the liberals in our country by proxy, man. They're they're in the way, and they're trying to tell us that, uh, you know, we don't need guns. We don't need to interrogate them. We just have to be nice to them. They'll be nice to us. And uh, it's really becoming a hindrance, man. I've, I've captured the same guys more than twice. And I'm like, are you, you, can, you again, they let you go? Yeah. And I told, and I tell them, I said, you know what? There won't be a third time, third time. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be the judge, jury and executioner, man. You know, if I got to come after you a third time and you're loose again, I said, it's done, man. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, it was very common, you know, it got, got that way towards the end. And I decided that, uh, you know, what? it is no longer worth the money is not worth my life and dying for a cause that's, bullshit yeah. okay they lost the cause it was no longer about you know winning the war and securing the and securing the world from you know you know terrorism um it just became just a shit show i, I there was one time where i had an idea because I, I work a lot with explosives been working with explosives over 35 years and uh, i thought you know what first of all here's where the where, as a military we're making a mistake we're trying to run conventional operations and basically uh an unconventional warfare environment, right? And uh, these guys are using guerrilla tactics on us and we're trying to fight them conventionally. That's why they're kicking our ass. You know, they're not hitting us head on. They're hitting us from the back. They're hitting us with IEDs. They're hitting us while we're sleeping with a rocket. That's what they're doing to us. And, um, and they get away with it. And I thought we should be doing the same thing. We should flip the script. Why don't we build IEDs, BBIDs, vehicle bombs, 
and uh, you know, and then take them, hide them, and then we could place them in front of if we know a guy is a Taliban commander or uh, facilitator. Park it out in front of his compound, you know, where he's at when he comes out, detonate it, right? Mm -hmm. So now get them thinking, oh shit, you know, they're going to be looking at every car, mm -hmm. every trash can suspiciously, right? Flip the script and let's get a little UW on them. And so I remember I wrote up the concept because I know how to build these vehicles. Um, and I can build them so that you don't even know there's explosives in them. And so basically it could be, you know, kind of like an apple car. You can just kind of drive it in anywhere, park it. No, nobody would notice there's explosives in it. Even if they searched it, you know, a cursory search wouldn't figure out that, you know, this thing's actually lined with explosives. So uh, I, I wrote the whole concept of how it would look, how it would be done, and how we could employ this system. And uh, I sent it up to get approval. Man, it comes back, right? And it's... and. Uh, with a skating note in it we're not into the ied business that's not what we do that's what the enemy do you know and i'm like yeah that's why we keep losing because we're not fighting like the enemy's fighting us you know we're trying to fight them with all these self-imposed rules and blah 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 and uh and so you know they called it you know we don't we, we're not in the business of building bbids and ieds you know that's not what we do and i go <laughs> Did I say VBID IED? So I changed it on the on the memorandum, and I changed it to ready for this wheeled explosive delivery system. <laughs> so it doesn't sound like a wedge, yeah, you know. Yeah. Let's let's call it something else, yeah. and it doesn't sound as as scary an IED or VBID. It's a wedge. Yeah. Oh well, that's good, right? Yeah. And dude, this is the problem, right? Because I got some. I got some monkey up there behind a desk, right? Some chimpanzee up there going, ah, well, you know, uh, oh, we don't do, we don't do BBIDs because they don't understand the war fighting piece of this thing. They don't understand, you know, you know, it, it's whether I deliver a, a vehicle bomb or I deliver a bomb inside a vehicle, I'm just delivering explosive, yeah. a weapon system, yeah, right, yeah. to help us win the war, right? Um, I remember one time I had to... Uh, I trained all my guys up. We did a capabilities exercise prepared for that because they weren't going to let us go out. Um, my unit was shut down because they had some, we had some internal problems. People stealing money from each other. You know, it's, it's, it's typical Afghan stuff, but no drama. They weren't combat and effective. They were quite effective. And I had to basically to get us out the door. Um, I had to bring the people in from, you know, from higher up from, from the station. And these were guys that, and girls that had no knowledge about what we're actually doing in the field but they were the ones approving all the concepts that's what's even more interesting they're literally approving and disapproving uh, mission concepts but had no idea how that how we how do we do these things right and uh which i thought was really screwed up it's like i got some guy up there you know driving a, driving a desk telling me how to run a combat operation who himself or herself has never ever been to combat or even had a military background Right. And so I invited them out and uh, they flew out and I put on this big, grandiose uh, capex for me. It was pretty cool, man. Uh, it was really neat and uh, kind of awesome. I was like, holy shit, these guys can do all that. Yeah, that's what they can do. So next time I send a con up, up you know, you'll, you'll look at it a little bit differently. You know, um, yeah, there are bombs. Yeah, we we deliver bombs with cars, right? Explosives with cars and missiles with cars, you know, and and. Uh, Part of it was an education process, but I feel like because we've got to educate these people that have no knowledge about this stuff, no experience, it was just becoming even more of a hindrance. And uh, I remember one time, the guy that shot down uh, Turbine 33 is a younger guy. He's, I think he's 23. He shot down the RPG. He was one of the top wanted guys in Afghanistan for a while. Everybody wanted him, right? He shot down the one that uh, all the SEALs that were on board, mm -hmm. Rangers, mm -hmm. went over the side, right? Um, yeah, and so... 
we got an intel hit that he was visiting his village, which was right down the road from like a, a kilometer away, right? He's in his village, you know, somebody spot him. He's there, broad daylight. And um, I'm like, well, hell, let's go get him. We take us no, no time at all to get down, and we got the guy, right? And I remember I was told no. I go, why? Well, because your guys are on pro, your, your men are on probation, right? Because they were st- the commander was stealing money from the troops, right? And there was this little scam going on between them. But we already sorted it out, right? We, uh, um, you know, we already fired, you know, the guys that were needed to be fired. And um, they're like, no, 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 because they're not they're not combat ready. I said, the hell, they're not. I've been training them, they're combat ready. And, and if I take them, we're good. And they refused. I go, the guy's right there. This might be the only top of time you, opportunity to get to catch the guy. And uh, wouldn't do it. Finally, I just lost my shit in the office. I go, you know what? I see you guys pay me a lot of money for my expertise. I come here because I can. I bring knowledge, you know, on on tactics and strategies and, and use of weapons and explosives. You know, my job is to train these other guys to go out and do the job. But if you don't want to let them do the job, then let me go out there. I go out there by myself. Mm-hmm. I said I'm willing to do that as an American, man, as a patriot. I'm willing to go out there by myself and go get this guy. And you know. That's what you pay me for. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to win the war, man. And they weren't having that either. I'm like, you know, it just got really, really frustrating towards the end because um, it seemed like nobody was really interested in winning mm-hmm. as much as controlling the way we play the game, you know, and everybody gets to play for a little while, it's, you know, and, and uh, nobody gets, none of the bad guys get to get hurt, you know, and, and, um, and they got even worse later on. So we had a guy, um, we we rolled up a we rolled up a suspected Taliban guy, put him in confinement or holding area, and uh, one of my contemporaries went down there to interview the guy. Apparently, wasn't in there that long. Came back out. The guy was the, the Taliban guy was okay. Um, the next morning, they find the Taliban guy dead in his cell. They don't know why he's dead. He's just dead, right? Well, the last person who was in there was this other guy, this American. And uh, but he was the guy was alive when he left. Doesn't matter, right? So over there, as a, if the Muslims have a um, requirement that if you die, you have to be buried within 24 hours, mm-hmm. right? So they buried him right away. No autopsy, no forensics, no nothing, no crime scene investigation. He's dead. They buried him. Well, that turned into a murder investigation a couple of years later, and uh, they put this guy, my friend, on trial in the U.S. in North Carolina, right? with really no evidence of any kind just other than it was all circumstantial and they literally brought the interrogator uh, the afghan interrogator uh, or interpreter that saw him go in there they brought him over as an eyewitness and his testimony was like yeah i saw him go in and he's the last guy to go in there and the next one this other guy's dead even though he was alive when this guy left and there was no damage to him right it's not like he was stabbed or choked mm-hmm. to death or beaten over the head he's just dead they don't know why Right, because they never did the autopsy. They buried him within twenty four hours. You know this guy, this American, actually went to prison. Jesus. He spent about four. He spent about four years in prison before he got out on parole, and uh, screwed his whole life up, man. You know, freaking. I found. I met him, run into him one day working at a gym. You know, as a personal trainer. But, um, anyways, that's the that's the war we're fighting over there, man. Um, or we're fighting over there. I don't know what we're doing now, but uh, <clears throat> this could have been over a long time ago. Um, almost as fast as it started had. You know, had the government slip the leads and let you know let the dogs of hell, you know, go do their job, you know, and uh, we could have swarmed that place and got it over with. But no, everybody wants to throw in rules because you know, the, just like Vietnam, right? 
the politics behind oh, yeah. it and the public public sentiment well that was what was happening too right and, and uh just sadly actually americans died because of not just american policy but american sentiment all this shit that the left goes hey, it's not fair don't interrogate them you know don't do this well that when he didn't do that guess what americans lost their lives for that and uh and so you know anybody that thinks out there that you know we should be nice to the bad man we should interrogate them well you know you got blood in your hands that's what you felt like in iraq and afghanistan all these years um again we're letting civilians fight a war and they, and they, they have no base or no business there you know um yeah it's, so anyway yeah it's yeah uh, it's it's similar to mcnamara in vietnam his whole thing is about like he it was less about winning the war and it was more so about like filling out reports that showed progress. And it was like, well, what what the fuck is the, yeah, exactly, man. Um, so anyways, um, yeah, that's a little, my little, that's a little side note there to the two, uh, two chapters we talked about today. Fuck yeah. Um, I, it took me a minute to remember, um, where the hell I was at in the book, but, um, kind of run out of time too. Next time we're going to talk about donkey turds and warthogs. That's actually a funny ass story, man. Um, that was, that was like, that was the ultimate shit show. And literally it was shit like everywhere. (laughs) Shit and, and vomit coming out of my Afghans, shit all over the place God, from donkeys and goats, you God, know. Dude, it was just you're gonna horrible. get me to vomit on this podcast. You did it with your <laughs> with your lobster store your lobster and steak and you're you're gonna get me to throw up on the podcast and that Yeah, this is the next one will be good, man. God, um it was a lot of it was a lot of fun. Um but uh it was it was definitely interesting. Fuck that. <laughs> so save it for next time. All right. Dale Comstock, American badass. Guys, get the book. It's in the description. Dale's going to put it on Audible sooner or later. I think you should get a Don the Pleb to narrate it. Don's got a good voice, and you've been on his show yeah. a couple times. Don's a cool fucking guy. Yeah, I, I texted him already about Yeah, you should do just it. just haven't followed up. You should do um, it, man. Probably will. All right, Dale. I got some other books he can do, too, though. Fuck yeah. But we'll see. Absolutely. Private. Dale Comstock. Thank you so much, brother. As always, All right. my friend, and uh, I'll see you next week. And uh, yeah, stay safe, everybody. God bless America. Fuck the communists and uh, fuck the Taliban. <laughs> Take care, Dale. Well, uh, Peace. See you, man. Peace. Take care. Bye bye. Yeah. <laughs>